Section 8 of Mellor and the Silver Hand and Other Stories of the Bright Ages. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Mellor of the Silver Hand and Other Stories of the Bright Ages by David Byrne. Chapter 8 A Beloved Pupil. It was the noon of night and the holy hermit of Kulros was saying matins. Not far from his solitary cell, the waves broke upon the shore with their monotonous and soothing rhythm, and made a fitting accompaniment to St. Sylvan's midnight praises. Solitary indeed was the hermit, solitary his abode, yet above the low chant of his night hours, above the booming of the wind about his hut, Above the breaking of the waves upon the beach, the holy man heard voices. Not for one moment did he pause in the recitation of his psalms. Scarcely for an instant ceased these strange, sweet voices of the night. To one whose life is given over to the direct praise of his Creator, and to commerce with a great multitude of unseen and heavenly witnesses, it is not surprising if, like Adam, he hears the voice of God when sounds of earth are stilled, or if there should reach his ears the chanting of the spirits of just men made perfect. Tonight St. Servan did not doubt that he had caught an echo of the lauds of the angels. But as soon as he had finished his nocturnes, the hermit left his cell and passed out into the pale gray light of early dawn. Strange sounds still lingered in the air, and as the hermit made his way to the seashore, there came to his ear the wailing of a little child. Pressing quickly forward, he saw a sight that filled him with pity and compassion. A girl lay on the sea-washed stones, clasping to her heart a newly-born child. To get help for the babe and mother was the holy man's first duty, and soon both were brought to a place of shelter. Terrible was the story the woman, little more than a girl, had to tell. Her name was Themen, and she was a princess, the daughter of Loth, king of the Picts. By her father's orders she had been thrown from a steep rock at Mount Dunpeld. Poor sinner as she was, the good God had compassion on her. She was found lying uninjured at the foot of the rock, and her father ordered her to be sent to the wild and desolate region of Colross. The holy man's care for the child and his mother did not end with the providing of food and shelter and clothing. The girl was uninstructed and unbaptized. Bitterly she bewailed her sin, and when St. Servan was satisfied that she had become a true penitent, he baptized her and her little one, giving to her the name of Tanka and to the boy that of Kenijern, or Kenyern, which means chief lord. Though Servan had been spoken of as a hermit, it is certain that he became an abbot, and that as so frequently happened his cell developed into a monastery. He was joined by other monks, and the abbey of Colross became a place well known for piety and learning. It is small wonder that the little Kinejern should cling to the holy man who had not only saved his earthly life, but had been the means of his acquiring a right to the life eternal. 
Great was the love between the old man and the little child, and right gladly did the mother leave her son within the sacred shelter of Colross. And the boy grew and became very dear to God. Gentle and affectionate, humble and obedient, was Mungo, the dearly loved one, as the abbot always called him, and gave promise of becoming both learned and saintly. Wild indeed was the Scotland of the sixth century. Wild and uncouth were its inhabitants. But the monks labored hard to civilize the boys who were sent to them, and to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We may easily imagine what a hard time the gentle little Kinnegern would have among a herd of half-savage lowland laddies. The well-known legends of the saint that have come down to us doubtless had their origin in the lawless bullying of his schoolmates. In the old times the striking of a light was often a lengthy and difficult task, and in consequence of this fires were seldom allowed to die out. One of the duties of the lads at the abbey was that each in turn should rise in the night to throw more wood on the kitchen hearth and to replenish the oil in the church lamps. One night, when it was Kinnegern's turn to fulfill this duty, some of the lads rose before him and carefully extinguished the fire. But the beloved one did not suffer. Miraculously or otherwise, he obtained a light, to the confusion of the boys who wanted to get him punished. The well-known legend of the robin is more startling still. It was the abbot's pet bird and lived in his cell. One day the young barbarians wrung the little red-breast's neck and told the abbot that his mungo had done the deed. Greatly distressed, Kennegarn took into his hands the body of the mangled bird and, raising his tearful, prayerful eyes to heaven, implored the Almighty to give back life to the abbot's pet. Nothing is too small, nothing too great, for the good God to do when a saint prays as only a saint can pray, and Kennegarn did not ask in vain. No wonder these coarse laddies became afraid to play tricks upon their saintly schoolmate. When one author tells us that Kennegarn ran away because he was unable to endure longer the envy of his fellow pupils, another assures us that he was sent to Glasgow by the abbot St. Servan in order to work for God. However this may be, we know that the day of his departure was the saddest of his life, and that of his beloved master and spiritual father. One account says that the abbot ran after him only to find that the boy had already crossed the river. Alas, my dearest son, cried St. Servan, the light of my eyes and the staff of my age, wherefore hast thou deserted me? Remember that I took thee from thy mother's womb, nursed thee and taught thee to this day. Do not desert my white hairs. My father, called out Kinnegern through his tears, it is the will of the Most High that I should go. Come back, come back, my dearest, cried the abbot. From being a father I will be to thee a son. Instead of being a master I will become your disciple. "'My father, it cannot be,' answered the boy, sobbing very bitterly. "'I must go where the Lord calls me.' 
The love of a saint is as deep as it is true, but there is nothing of self in it. That which so many unhappy men and women called love of one another is often nothing but unblushing and undisguised selfishness. True affection makes no account of self. The love that existed between these two holy souls was as deep as the ocean. Each of them wished what was best for the other, not what was most pleasing to himself. Bitter and terrible as the parting was, each at length understood that God willed it. So the abbot raised his hands and sent his blessing across the river. Slowly and sorrowfully they parted, never again in this life to meet one another face to face. The subsequent adventures of St. Kentigern were many and remarkable. God had called him to be an apostle, and, though like so many holy men and boys, he began his apostolate in a cave, people sought him out and listened to his teaching. He soon converted many to God, and even when he brought kings into the fold of the church and found himself consecrated Bishop of Glasgow, he continued to live in a rocky cell with a stone for his pillow. From this primitive palace he went forth to preach, a wooden unadorned pastoral staff in one hand, an office book in the other, on foot through the country, passing from the Clyde to the Firth of Froth, living on bread and cheese and milk. Driven from his native country by a rebellion, St. Kinnegern took refuge in Wales with the great St. David, remaining with him until the building of the famous monastery, then called Elan Elwyn, and afterward St. Asaph. Disciples and scholars flocked to this abbey in great numbers, and Kentigern remained here until after the death of St. David in 544, and until Roderick, the king of the North Britons, begged the bishop of Glasgow to return to his see. So Kentigern left his abbey in the care of St. Asaph, and returned to the land of his birth, bringing with him a devoted band of British monks. Besides beginning the building of a cathedral at Glasgow, Killigern labored to bring back to the faith the Picts of Galloway and founded numerous missions and religious houses. His relations with the famous and holy Columba, abbot of Iona, were of the most interesting kind, and there has come down to us a beautiful account of the meeting of these two saints and their followers at Glasgow. St. Columba arrived with a great company of monks, and as they entered Glasgow the abbey divided them into three big choirs. In the same way St. Kentigern met him with three great bodies of boys and monks and aged fathers. First came the children of the choir, then the brethren who had reached manhood, and last of all the snowy-haired elders among whom Kentigern took his place. They shall sing in the ways of the Lord, that great is the glory of the Lord. The path of the just is made, and the way of the saints is prepared, chanted the choirs of Glasgow. Immediately they were answered by the monks of Iona. The saints shall go from strength to strength, and unto the God of gods appeareth every one of them in Sion. Then the Apostle of the Picts affectionately embraced the Apostle of the Scots, and the two saints spent several days together in sacred conference. 
St. Kentigern died in the year 601, at the age of 85. In life and after death he was famed for miracles. His feast is kept on the 13th of January. The legend of the robin has been put into charming verse by Miss May Probin. God keep thee, little Kentigern, sitting in the school. Quickly the master will return. Thou hast not broken the rule. From thy task thou hast not stirred, but the rest have slain the master's bird. The little bird with the breast of red that perched on the master's shoulder and picked from his hand the crumbs of bread each morning waxing bolder. But the thoughtless lads, as he flew by, have chased and caught him boisterously. They have snatched him from each other's hold. They have pulled off his head. Rent is the tuneful throat of gold. In twain he falleth dead. Drops of red on the white flags lie, and the steps of the master draweth nigh. God keep thee, little Kentigern, standing out on the floor, the coward lads each in his turn have accused thee o'er and o'er. For sake of a little bird's red blood, thou art to taste the master's rod. The child hath asked that he may take in his hand the dead thing small. He joineth the head to the little neck, white-lipped the lads grow all. Lo, the bird has preened its pretty wing, glanced up, glanced down, and begun to sing. End of section 8 This recording by Phil Chenevere